Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, the podcast about comic books, hosted by two brothers who are comedians, who are comic book fans, who are older, uh, dull white men, all kind of at once. Yeah, it's hard to do all that at once, but we pull it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And we're also dull white men while also being two of the funniest people on the planet. Yeah, that was recently um, agreed upon by humans. Human Human Magazine mm-hmm. published a list of the funniest people in the world, and we came in one and two. Tied. Uh, tied. We both were tied. For, for They listed Will first and then me, but they said we were both listed as one. And then number three was Al Gore. Yeah, it's an interesting list. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of controversial decisions. Four was Will Ferrell. Yeah. Yeah. And five was the Queen uh, of Garfield. Oh, yeah, Garfield. That's right. Garfield and the Queen of England. Yeah. And she is so, funny. People just don't know that because they don't get to hang out with her because her public appearances are so controlled. It's a good list. We all got to hang out, and it was yeah. a really funny time. The photo shoot was great. No masks. Lots of kissing. Oh, yeah. Lots of well, maybe too much kissing and licking, just even for a non-pandemic <laughs> era. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, my name is Kevin Hines. And my name is Will Hines. Yeah, and we'll be your hosts for this evening. And um, we're doing a very short little mini uh, coda to our last season, really. Yeah. I'm going to call this season 5A. Yeah, we just wrapped up sort of a, uh, and no season feels big after our Fantastic Four season, but a, a big-ish season about the Sandman, Neil Gaiman's epic uh, fantasy horror series that came up from Vertigo. Uh, we have a little weird amount of time before the year ends, uh, and so we only really had three weeks to put something together without like putting a bunch of breaks in. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of doing a sort of a current events list uh, of comics. These are all comics I've read and will has not read. Right. Um, so they're current comics, current ish. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean they're huge popular comics. Cause I don't necessarily always read the most popular comics. Yeah. These are Kevin Hines picks from amongst yeah. new comics. That being said, today's comic is from a series that is both, Critically acclaimed and very popular and sells incredibly well. It is probably Marvel's like hottest book. I don't know if it's their best selling book, but it's their hottest book. Yeah. And it's called The Immortal Hulk. Okay. Uh, we'll be covering issue five. I think issue 40 has just come out recently. I wanted to pick one early in the run because it gets deep into mythology later on and it's really good, but it's definitely one of those comics where. If you jumped in at issue 20, you're only getting half the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not necessarily the best issue. And it's also not necessarily the first issue because it's issue five. Yeah. But I think it is the first issue where this book sort of took hold and said, hey, this is the direction we're going in. Hang on. Um, well, I really liked it. I just I read them today. I read the first five issues just before great. we did start recording. And I think it's great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um uh, we also have some emails today, Will, a couple of Ditko-related emails, so that'll be fun. Exciting. And we and might talk a little bit about the Miles Morales video game, because we've both played it. We've both played the Miles Morales video game. Now, you've finished it. Yeah. I am like 80%, 90% in. You're like 90% in. Um, so I'm almost done. But yeah, we could talk about that for a little bit, too. But should yeah. we talk about Hulk first? Yeah, let's do Hulk first. Okay. Uh, so the Immortal Hulk 
It's an interesting comic. It's written by Al Ewing and drawn by uh, Joe Bennett, generally. Uh, always written by Al Ewing, generally drawn by Joe Bennett. It is following um, another one of these giant epic events uh, where they always have to kill a superhero and they killed the Hulk. Okay. The Hulk was killed. Uh, he built an arrow and gave it to Hawkeye and said, shoot me in the head if you think I'm going to go crazy. And then it seemed like the Hulk was going to go crazy, so Hawkeye shot him through the head. Wow. The repercussions of that were minimal because <laughs> it's superhero universe. It just felt like, you know, Hawkeye moped and people sort of brought it up once or twice and the Hulk was, you know, off the table for a little bit. Right. In the long run, it didn't seem to matter. Then they brought the Hulk back without really explaining how he was back. It was not one of these resurrections where it's like, here's how he's still alive. It was just like he's up and around. Right. Um, and maybe even at that point, Al Ewing, I think, had a plan because the next comic book coming out was called The Immortal Hulk instead of the Incredible Hulk. He's now right. immortal. Yeah, which kind of starts to answer the question of how did he die and come back? Yeah. And so the status quo and the Hulk is famously changing status quo. If you listen to our Hulk season, uh, he had like eight status quo in the first six issues. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he and that while that pace is not kept up, his status quo do tend to change from time to time, whether he is banner in control of the Hulk or some sort of merged personality or turning into like a weaker, smarter gray Hulk at night. Yeah. His current version is he only turns into the Hulk at night, uh, but not every night. This is the Immortal Hulk version. This is the Immortal Hulk. Right. But it's not every night. It's generally only when Banner needs him or Banner is killed. Okay. Uh, and it's also not the Grey Hulk. It is a Green Hulk, but it is not the Green Hulk we're familiar with, not the Hulk Smash Hulk. He is smarter, more uh, devious. He's up to something. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's called it in this issue, but later on he's referred to as the Devil Hulk. I can see that already from the first five issues. Uh, and the whole series overall deals a lot with lots of the characters who have Gamma-related origins. Hulk's origin was from a Gamma bomb. Mm -hmm. um, so it involves lots of characters like She-Hulk uh, shows up a little bit. But Betty Betty Banner slash Ross, who uh, was a Hulk for a little bit, <laughs> I uh, shows up later. Rick Jones had some Gamma powers for a while, so he's definitely involved. Leonard Sampson has Gamma powers. The leader has uh, Gamma powers. Uh, this issue that we're going to talk about has Sasquatch, an Alpha Flight member who has Gamma Powers. So it's just Gamma, 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 Gamma. Is Gamma, Gamma, Gamma the sorority in that SNL sketch where they're like, I think oh, it's Delta, Delta, Delta. That's right. The previous issue, Sasquatch, who is uh, um, a guy who turns into like an orange furred behemoth. Good word. Went to deal with the Hulk or was investigating the Hulk with a reporter and got killed. He got He got shot and died. Stabbed. Stabbed. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when Banner heard he was dead, Banner was like, oh, he's going to get he's not dead. He's going to get back up. Right. And that's where this issue sort of kicks in. Yeah. Is that everything you need to know? You think, Will? I think so. Let's talk about it. OK. What do you think of the art? Uh, also, the, all these issues of Alex Ross covers, which is amazing to have. Yeah. I wonder. Wonder why they decided to do that, and is that like expensive or something, or like is it's that... got to be expensive? Uh, I mean, Alex Ross doesn't do a ton of covers, and he's got to charge a lot. But his covers are great. He is an amazing designer, an amazing cover uh, layout person. But so these covers are just some of them are tremendous. This first cover is really good. I mean, it's nothing. There's nothing on this cover that is redefining what covers look like, but it is just a very good cover of the Hulk 
fighting Sasquatch. Alex Ross's uh, approach is kind of interesting, right? He's sort of kind of, I don't know how to put this. He draws things sort of more realistically, like a combination of like photo realistically and also maybe like a cover of old school science fiction short story collections like, you know, Weird Tales or something. Like I mean, it looks like magazine is, art. Altros is definitely a fan more of the nostalgic. Like when he draws characters, he likes to draw the original looks frequently of characters rather than the more current things. And this is a very modern comic, so he's a very interesting choice. Uh, but the covers are so good. I should show you a few of the later ones well because they are amazing uh, or maybe incredible. <laughs> but yeah, so that's also a joy. But what do you think of the artist Joe Bennett's work in this overall? I love it. Um, I feel like this is a style that I'm familiar with. Maybe I've seen his work or maybe this is like representative of kind of just modern comics or something. I, I don't know that I, I just feel like I've seen it. I, I like it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's somewhere in between very minimalist sort of Mazzuchelli, Darwin cook, but not as like complicated as like fully detailed, you know, wow you with lines. <laughs> this is kind yeah. of, I would say it's simpler rather than not, but um, yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, it's, he draws big, big characters in this. Obviously his Hulk is huge and enormous and he draws some really gross stuff throughout it. But yeah, it's just, there's a simple style to it. It's, it's a, there's a nice clarity to everything. I really, I really like, I really love his art. I've seen it a few times before, but this is definitely the book that has elevated him to, uh, and everybody's, Everybody knows him now. It's pretty easy just to get what's going on. Like you, it's an easy to read book. I'd also say that's true of Al Ewing, who's written a bunch of great comics for Marvel, but none of them have been huge hits, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. And this is a huge hit. So like the two of these guys have been like doing great work here and there. And now they've kind of come together in this book and it just, it's exploded. Were you on board with it right away or did you... Um... Well, I'm a big Hulk fan, so and I liked Al Ewing a lot. I'd read a lot of his other stuff and I enjoyed most of it. Um, so yeah, I was into it. Hulk, I'm always comparing Hulk to Peter David's run. And he okay. did like a twelve year run when Just I was crazy. you know, young. It start it started at least when I was a very young. So it's that impression that that's what is impressed on me is like that's the Hulk. Yeah. And every uh if something seems disrespectful of that run, that hurts it in my mind. But this is definitely not disrespectful of it. If anything, it's building on Peter David's work more than anyone else's. Though it yeah. builds on a lot of people's work. So I, I'm, I'm into it. It's really fun. I don't love deaths in comic books, but obviously it's baked into the concept here. So I have no problem with it here. It is great. And it only gets better as it goes along. I already love it. So that's a that's a that's a good review of what's to come. Great. So the first page starts in a, uh, with a caption before. Yes. So we don't know when before, but this was pre- prior to the previous issue. We see alpha flight, which at this point is led by captain Marvel, Carol Danvers. Uh, I like, I, I like when captions just say stuff like before, like that's all we need to know. Like there's been four issues of sort of an ongoing story mostly. And this is before all that. Yeah. It also just explains, like, we just saw Sasquatch dead, or his civilian identity dead in the last issue, and now we see him up talking to Captain Marvel. So if it says before, that answers our questions. I say A-plus caption. 
Yeah, I love it too. Um, it, maybe it's overdone now. I, th- I think I see it a lot in comics now. It's, it's also some people I know have an issue when like the very first caption is before, where it's like this is this is where the story starts. But uh, I don't yeah. have a problem with that. Me either. Those people are jerks. But it's it's Captain Marvel talking to Sasquatch, and Puck is there, who is also a big supporting cast member of this book overall. Not at this point yet, but okay. becomes a really big part of this book. And basically, Captain Marvel is just telling Sasquatch, like, um, I'm nervous. You've been angrier lately. Yeah, that um, and that's in the in the previous issue, civilian Sasquatch Walter was telling a reporter that he's really chill and laid back, unlike Bruce Banner. He was trying to sell himself as like laid back and chill. So to hear somebody telling Sasquatch that he's angry a lot, we're like, oh, we didn't know the whole story before. Yeah. Uh, there's been, I guess, some weird plot line that I've never read where he was like possessed by some demon or something that's referred here in passing. Yeah. Called Tanarak. <laughs> it's funny how comics have to do that. You know, there's some like sort of st- a story that is much more um, outlandish in tone, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but here you are in a realistic story in the same universe. So you still have to say, like, remember back when, you know, your arms turned into devils or whatever? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and you got to just be like, yeah, that was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. That was a rough time. Uh, but basically, Captain Marvel sort of says, like, hey, you don't seem to turn back into Walter anymore. So he does. Yeah, to prove a point. What maybe Walter didn't even realize that it was much more difficult than he expected to turn back and that there is some kind of resistance. Yeah. Uh, and then when he looks in his reflection, he sees his alter ego, his Sasquatch alter ego, which is a generally in control alter ego, but looking very fierce through a mirror reflection at him. And this continues a motif that's been throughout the first five issues of people looking in reflections and seeing sort of their devil selves, like yeah. their dark alter ego. Uh, there is a quote to open this particular issue from uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and that seems sort of appropriate to like one of the motifs, at least in these first five issues of Immortal Hulk, that like there is a dark version of yourself or a some kind of evil figure that you don't want to come out but can come out. Yeah, and this book, or the series overall, repeats certain lines of dialogue and certain moments a lot. In a way that if you really, I just reread the whole thing, uh, basically because I was trying to pick which issue to do, and then I couldn't stop reading once I picked one. Um, and they just repeat dialogues and repeat moments, and there's a, re- a repeated moment of like you have two, there's you have two, there's two of you in the mirror, the one you feed, or something like that. I, I don't remember the exact detail. I'm gonna pull it up. I mean, um, what I've seen so far is something like there's two of you, the one you, the the one you admit, and the one you don't want to admit. That's- yeah, there are two people in every mirror. There's the one you can see, and there's the other one, the one you don't want to. That's fun. I'm always a, I'm always a fan of like quotes from like literature and comic books. Like Alan Moore was always big for having like, you know, you finish an issue of his of Watchmen or whatever, and then at the end there's a quote from Bob Dylan or something like that. Yeah. And um, I'm always a fan of these sort of quotes, especially if they're kind of deep cut quotes that I don't know. And uh, these five issues of Immortal Hulk have all had one at the beginning, and I'm on board with that. I like the mood that it sets. Uh, a comic writer I always enjoyed was Chuck Dixon, and he never liked those quotes. He always, uh, he was a very bare bones writer, and I, uh, I enjoyed, I enjoy them. I also like that he didn't enjoy them. Yeah. Uh, and he did a series once that started with a quote, and someone sort of called him on it, and he's like, "Oh, but mine are all made up. <laughs> they were all like fictional quotes from his universe." Yeah. Uh, that they were not actually, and I was like, "Oh, so that's," and it's just he's like, "I was sort of just doing that for fun." 
I mean, it's like uh, anything else, you know, if it's done in a shallow surface way, then it's no fun. But if somebody's yeah. got like good quotes that add something to the story, it's cool. I mean, Al Ewing is just a good writer, so he's going to pull the stuff off. Uh, we, we turn from page two of seeing Walter seeing his Sasquatch reflection to page three of seeing Banner see his Hulk reflection. Right. Uh, we're uh, at the hospital and uh, Banner is telling this reporter uh, that she needs to get everyone out. Because he knows that because Sasquatch is a gamma creature, that even though Walter has died, that Sasquatch is immortal and therefore he's going to come back to life in a monstrous form because it's night. Right? Yeah. That's right. Um, uh, and the other fun part of this series overall is how crazy and evil Banner sort of feels. That's interesting you describe him as evil. Um, how do you mean by it? What do you mean by that? Just feels. And that, whether he's evil or not is unclear. But like this last panel, uh, uh, the last two panels on this page where he's basically like, get everyone out of here. He's basically like, the screaming will probably help, meaning the screaming will help you get people to leave this hospital. And then he speaks to like the Hulk in his head. I know you've got your job too. And his face there just looks so intense. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't seem like a passive victim here. He seems like a man on a mission. Yeah. He's bringing a monster into the fray, maybe kind of willingly. He walks into the room and he basically sees this wrecked lab uh, the doctors are dead. Like the, uh, what's yeah, happened was, here is vicious and it's I was Sasquatch. shocked to see that. Uh, and Banner says, hello, Walter, can we talk? Uh, Sasquatch it's, is licking his paws, like the, licking the blood off the paws. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a for real monster here. Yeah. Um, hello, Walter, can we talk? And Sasquatch's response is, I'm not Walter. Uh, and I'd rather talk to the real you and then slices Banner's throat open. Yeah, this is a graphic comic. This is not a comic for kids. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely uh, not. Banner dies immediately. Uh, yes, but like as he's dying, Sasquatch, Sasquatch says, it's hurt, it hurts to die, doesn't it, Bruce? And Bruce, is, as he's dying, says, always. But then he turns into the Hulk and he's back. Yeah, and this is another line that gets repeated a number of times throughout the issue, a bunch in the early issues and then a little less frequently as it goes on. But the Hulk says, when you hurt Banner, I take it personal. <laughs> Yeah. And the, the Devil Hulk is a persona that may, I think has existed prior to this comic was when he was a child. He saw like a big monster and that big monster was supposedly like the thing he was kind of imagining that would protect him from his abusive father. OK, so that's why he protects Banner, because he that's that's where he started. Or this, so we're led to believe he's this vision that child banner had as like this mm -hmm. almost like an imaginary friend to protect him yeah though he was like scaly and more dragon-like he didn't look like the hulk necessarily right more like but the that seems to be who's in control of the hulk at this point yeah. anyway uh, the hulk punches sasquatch hard and then uh they're in the fight and hulk's just trying to figure out what's going on he's like he's as he's punching sasquatch he refers to sasquatch's civilian identity and says langowski's a creep smug little know-it-all always was but he never had three murders in him you're something else aren't you and uh so like hulk is like smart and kind of like detective like and seems to have pretty good memory of past events and you know right and and this hulk is he's Figuring things out, he's starting to make plans here. He refers to a green door, which is another important aspect of the mythology of this comic. When uh, you come back to life, you come through a green door. Uh, 
And I guess that's always been true, is what this, these comics suppose, though yeah. the characters never remember it. Okay, but, right. But now this Hulk is starting to remember it. And he's as he's punching out Sasquatch, he's like trying to... There's been like basically four issues of lots of mystery up until now. Yeah. The mystery of how Banner came back. Uh, there's other little new gamma creatures being created, and they seem also to have the power to come back. There's the whole like two beings inside of you. Um, there's the idea of demon personalities possessing the, the gamma monster versions. All these things have kind of been floated. Right. And in this and issue, they get sort of solidified a lot. Solidified, but not answered. Yeah. Um, but the Hulk is basically saying like something, when Walter died, something else came through the green door to take control of your body. So the, yeah. In other words, this is not Walter who's come back. And he guesses Tanarak, the demon who possessed Sasquatch in the past, based on quickly referred to a uh, um, uh, dialogue earlier. I think Mephisto, smart, smart the guess. Marvel uh, devil character. Yeah, Something smart. worse. Who's in there, the Hulk asks. Uh, and then and we, when we, we turn see. the page, we see it. And the reflection, he's not holding Sasquatch. He's holding his dad. Yeah, this is somehow um, Bruce's abusive father has taken control of Sasquatch. Right, and then Sasquatch calls him what the dad always called Bruce Banner, little monster. Uh, that's pretty vi- – I didn't know that aspect of the backstory of um, the Hulk. That uh, his dad was uh, abusive. I maybe had caught wind of that. I'd never read any of the things that, like, went through that. So the the big – Bill Mantlo, I believe, is the one who, in a Mike Mignola issue, uh, created this backstory, added this level um, during the Crossroads era of – the Hulk, which I'm not going to get into on this podcast because <laughs> we're already deep enough in things. But basically, there's an issue where you see, you know, when Banner was born, he was very smart. And his dad was like, oh, he's a freak. He's a monster. He shouldn't be this smart. We should kill him. <laughs> and he was an alcoholic and the mom tried to protect him, but she couldn't. Yeah. And and Brian Banner, I think, killed uh, Bruce's uh, mom. Okay. Uh, uh, if she, maybe she ran off, I think she gets killed and, and he gets away with it. Like they don't know it's him. It's horrible. It's a horrible, everything about it is horrible. Yeah. There's not a, doesn't seem to be a ton of nuance here for Bruce's dad. Bruce's dad is an evil yeah. person uh, through and yes. through. But he's never really been a super villain. I'd also say that like, he's been like this sort of, uh, sort of this psychological cause of why the banner is the Hulk. Why yeah. he has this rage monster inside him. Right. But but he's never been like a guy who's showed up in armor yeah. and laser guns to fight the Hulk. But here but now, he seems to be possessing Sasquatch, though there's a lot more to the story that I'm not going to say. I'll just say there's a lot more going on here than we, than we know. Uh, which we don't find out in this issue. That's right. But we're, we are finding out a lot. We're kind of like confirming that like gamma creatures can come back. It's not just Hulk that other beings can possess bodies or seem to that's like being laid out here. Yeah. Um, so then we get into just the logistics of the situation here, which is the hospital is trying to evacuate itself while the Hulk and Sasquatch are like duking it out. Yeah. I mean, and uh, Bennett uh, draws such great destruction. This hospital just gets wrecked. Walls are just exploding everywhere. Yeah. As you'd expect if these two big guys were fighting, they're enormous and they're just wrecking everything in their path. Uh, it's also very fun. The Hulk seems afraid and freaked out by this. He's freaked out by seeing his dad. Uh, 
good facial expressions on the Hulk here. It's not, it's not you can't be. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and Twitch Sasquatch Brian Banner says, you can see ghosts, you can smell lies. You'd know if it weren't. Um, and he can see ghosts. That's been established in the Defenders. He can always see Doctor Strange's astral form <laughs> uh, for some reason. And smelling lies, I think, is just established in this series in the earlier issues. He smells people and says, I could, I, I could tell if you're lying or something. Right, that's Which, in the issues of Immortal Hulk. Yes, yes, yes. A- after being sort of like, taunted by Sasquatch Hulk kind of gets his act together and gets his confidence back and kind of comes roaring back to defeat Sasquatch. That's right. Um, Uh, There's a fun little kind of, I don't know, Hulk Easter egg or Hulk, uh, I don't know, shout out or callback or something when he, um, Kevin, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. I think so. Just, he's saying a thing that Hulk says he's going into one of his few catchphrases. Yeah. Hulk smash being his most famous one, but probably this is probably his second most famous thing he says. Yeah. Uh, he refers to people as puny humans. <laughs> it's very pro wrestler. You know, I feel like this is very Hulk Hogan or very like 1980s wrestler yelling to the camera before SmackDown type of thing. Uh, but basically Sasquatch is like, you're scared of me. You're scared of Brian Banner. You're scared of your dad. And the Hulk goes into this big speech. You're just a man, a twisted old man who killed his wife, tried to kill his son Made him wish, ah, wish you had. You scare him. You scare Banner. You think that gives you power over me? Thinks it make think it think it makes you so important, special? No, ah, no, not special. Puny, puny human. Yeah, and punches him through like eight walls or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun to see Hulk say puny human. I'm in favor of it. Um, I think let's take a break. All right, let's do it. We'll come right back, everybody. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about or the format of the show or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. So then the Hulk apologizes to Sasquatch and says, I think I let my temper get away from me. Yeah, and they spend the rest of the issue having lunch and sort of talking about what their favorite Martin Scorsese movie is. Yeah, the answers will surprise you. I don't want to spoil them here. Yeah, it's uh, casino. It's casino. It's that's casino. Yeah, they both think casino's the best. They think that's where you peaked, and I'm not sure that's true. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, they keep fighting. Yeah, and um, but it ends pretty quickly. I mean, it's gruesome though. Like his eyes get Hulk's eyes get gouged out. Yeah. Uh, some some police show up and try to tase Sasquatch. That doesn't work. Um, yeah, a cop tries to tase Sasquatch, and he gets his stomach ripped open, and he dies. Yeah, And then finally, uh, Hulk, with his eyes gouged out, does something that it's kind of like, oh, I wonder why he didn't do this before. He's able to, like, absorb the gamma radiation away from Sasquatch, draining him and leaving him as Walter. Yeah, the Hulk is gamma. uh, And so he's just able to suck the gamma out of Sasquatch, turning him back into just Walter. 
who is just a, a just a normal dude. And uh, Hulk grows his eyes back real quick. Uh, the reporter comes in, and Hulk and she exchange a little exposition about her. Right. This reporter is also a, a she's a longstanding supporting cast member of this book, or she will be. Um, and the Hulk basically demands to know why she cares, why she's so interested in his deal. And she reveals that when she was a little girl, he wrecked her town and she was told to not make eye contact with him. But she did. Uh, and she kind of wants to be a Hulk, I think. Yeah, she basically he, she he she says uh, she looked him in the eyes and she has questions. And so the Hulk goes, all right, one question, but make it quick. No, <laughs> we're not sure why he's humoring her to let her ask this question. But her question yeah. goes, fine, here's my quick question. How do I do it? How? How do I get to be what you are? And he just goes, just go home, McGee, go home. Uh, I'm watching What We Do in the Shadows, which is a television show about vampires. And one of the running threads is there's lots of characters who wish to become vampires and try to talk vampires into turning them. Um, what a funny reaction. I would not want to be a vampire or a Hulk. Right. Uh, there's, a, I'm going to say this about everything, a lot more going on with Jackie, too. Yeah. Um, then Sasquatch or Walter reveals that he can't. He doesn't. He th- doesn't think he's Sasquatch anymore. He thinks he's lost his powers. Yeah, probably, probably good for him. I would say. Uh, and then we see this quote again. There are two people in every mirror. There's the one you can see, and there's the other one. And then we turn the page, the last page of the issue, and Hulk looks and sees his reflection. Doesn't see Bruce Banner. Sees Brian Banner. Yeah, and Hulk looks freaked out. Yeah, he's scared. Uh, and and slight spoiler, what happened is when he absorbed Sasquatch's energy, he also absorbed this. I see. Okay. So his dad's soul or whatever kind of stowed away yes. inside of Hulk somehow. Yep. Crazy. And that's where this issue leaves off. Does this make you want to read more of the series, Well, uh, It does. Yeah. I, I, does, I do want to read more. It's good. It's really good. It, it, it's one of those books that I wonder... I've read so much Hulk. It's probably other than Spider-Man, the character I've read the most of. Okay. I've got a few big gaps, but I've read so much. Basically, since Peter David, I've read almost everything since Peter David. Okay. And I've read, you know, everything uh, through like middle of Tales to Astonish. And then I like missed a big chunk in the middle. I've also read what preceded uh, Peter David a little bit. John Byrne's short run. um, I think Al Milgram had a couple issues in there. So I read some of that stuff, too. So I've read a lot. And so I'm reading this and I, and I catch, I don't have like an encyclopedic memory for this, but uh, I catch like most of these references I'm not being confused by. I, I get, as it gets deeper and deeper and gets more, more personas and more characters show up. I know all these characters. I know all these personas. I haven't, nothing's shown up for the most part other than like minor characters where I'm like, who's this guy? Like Hotshot was a guy who showed up in earlier issues who exists outside of this comic. Oh, okay. And I didn't know, but it doesn't really matter. He doesn't okay. matter. Wow. Uh, and so I wonder what it would read like to somebody who has a less deep knowledge of Hulk. I still think it's good. I think it explains enough. Um, yeah, I, I do not have a deep knowledge of Hulk. I read the first six issues when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would read a handful of issues now. Then I think I read most of the John Byrne run. It wasn't that long. And um, You read most of the Todd McFarlane run. Yeah. If not all of it. Um, yes, that's right. So, yeah, that's a decent chunk of Hulk for you. Yeah, I, I've never gone deep 
or whatever. So I'm going to miss most references to things. This is also the kind of book where every now and then there's like an issue where it's like, let's just sort out all the continuity in an entertaining way. There's an issue called, there's a, a one shot issue called the immortal she Hulk. That is basically just like, let's talk about the three times she Hulk has died in comic books and how the green door affected her. Oh, interesting. And, uh, I've read, uh, all, all those, surprisingly. I have not read a ton of She-Hulk, but I was like, oh, I've read these three stories <laughs> that they're referring to here. Um, but it's sort of fun. And there's uh, they do something similar with the leader. And I definitely have read maybe half of the leader stuff. Okay. But it, uh, it was still a really fun read, even though it's sort of an info dump of an issue. So this kind of – oh, now I know the art that it reminds – it's maybe not even the art. I know what this reminds me of in general, and it's All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison. Um. In, okay. in in this way, not in a lot of ways it doesn't, but in terms of like rebooting and kind of like using old ideas and trying to kind of represent them in almost like a better way or like a simplified better way. Like, oh, here's the best version of the Bizarro Superman story. And, mm-hmm. You know, here's the best version of the Superman Lois uh, romance dynamic not even the best version but here's like a kind of modern reboot but like but like using stuff yeah in a a way this comic is trying to go back to its roots of a kind of a scary horror comic where like the hulk sort of in those early issues when we covered it it's sort of like oh the hulk's like hitting rick jones around and yeah he talks about like destroying the human race yeah like you know it's not it's not consistent nothing in those six issues is but there's like glimmers of like a much more ruthless character a much more uh mr hyde uh character than what we get we sort of get the sort of basically like a superhero who breaks stuff yeah um it's what he sort of becomes so it's sort of going back to those roots but it's also like i said it's really good about it It doesn't seem to it doesn't toss anything aside it doesn't say like well i'm gonna ignore this story this story is dumb so i'm gonna make it not count it all counts it all matters there was a short uh, period of time where Betty Banner turns into a harpy. Okay. In uh, when I was not reading comics, I assume like in the seventies, sometimes. Yeah. And that is honored in a way that is amazing and wonderful, and makes me want to read those issues, even though I believe they are probably bad. <laughs> I would pick up Hulk issues in the seventies, which meant like when I was six or seven or eight, and try to read them, and they were like very mystifying, like the Hulk melodrama stuff was deep in the 70s maybe all yeah. marvel comics was like every issue seemed immensely complicated but yeah i'd be curious when people who've not read much hulk think of this I th- it seems like everyone loves it so I'm, I'm guessing you'd love it people that are listening to this uh me, I, me, if you've read a good amount of hulk i think you will definitely love it let me tell you what i liked about it and you tell me if you agree with me or not okay one reason i really liked the first couple issues in particular was uh, a sense of mystery, like um, inst- inst- instead of having everything spelled out, there's sort of like intriguing things happening at the beginning. I'm turning the pages to kind of like both hoping to get blanks filled in, like who is this and how did this happen? Also, in a way, just enjoying intriguing mysteries. Like sure. I didn't recognize Bruce Banner when he first appears in Immortal Hulk, because Bruce Banner is plain enough that I, mm-hmm. as opposed to like J. Jonah Jameson, we're all recognizing no matter who draws him. Right. Bruce Banner, you know, with glasses, without, I don't know, he can, he can sort of. Yeah. He blends he in. That's how generic. he can walk through towns and not be the, the, the you know. Yeah. 
the military's not called immediately. In in his civilian appearance in the very first issue, he gets he snaps at a cashier and uh or maybe he snaps at a girl. No, he snaps at a cashier and his eyes flash green and like since I'm reading the Hulk, I noticed that. I'm like, "Ooh, is this like a is this somebody related to the Hulk mythology? But yes, it's Bruce Banner, very much related to the Hulk <laughs> mythology, but I did not realize yeah, that. Yeah. But I, that just is sort of like intriguing. And then there's a death pretty early in the first issue, which it's not like I'm a fan of death, but it was like, oof, this story is not messing around. Like this is kind of a brutal story. Uh, and in a way I was like, oh, this is, we just you know talked to all these episodes about Sandman. I was like, oh, this writer is kind of like making sure this issue is a good story just in and of itself, regardless of the larger mythology. And it was. Yeah. When I bought the first issue and I liked the first issue, the first few issues sort of just feel like, oh, this is going to be the Hulk going from town to town, righting wrongs, but in a sort of very adult, graphically violent way. Yeah, it did kind of feel like that. Uh, Like it felt like there was a little more going on there, but it, it wasn't a ton being told to you about that. So it's just sort of like, okay, it mostly just felt like, all right, the Hulk's going to go to town, wait till nighttime, and then mess some shit up. Well, there's more going on. Yes, that's true. Well, go ahead. You can finish. And, and then by the, and that's why I like this issue and, and a little bit the previous issue where it's like, oh, no, there's a lot more going on. And now we're stepping away from that. And we're getting into these longer arcs where this Green Door myth mystery and the Brian Banner mystery and what's going on with all the Gamma creatures starts getting built up bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's, you know, it's in an insane place right now in issue 40. It's just insane. But I would say the other things that are happening in the first couple issues, well, it's still, you know, the grand plan has not been revealed at all to the reader. It's just a gruesome, dark, sad world where like gamma powers seem to be a curse. And there's a lot of like devil and hell talk and like dark, evil forces talk. Um, and sometimes there's overt God versus devil stuff and Hulk is seen to be on the side of Satan by other people. Mm-hmm. Just having those images like tossed around, like ties the stories to like, I don't know, big primal good and evil stuff. Yeah. Uh, I guess what I mean though is like, to me, when I read those first few issues, I didn't know if that was a mystery or just like, this is just the status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this is the new status quo. He dies every issue and comes back and, and messes yeah. stuff up. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what to expect. Um, and when you get to this issue, it's like, oh, there's a, a it's it's more than that. It's a lot more than that. It's it's not that simple. I mean, also, you got to think I was reading these month to month or whatever when they come out. When you read them all back to back, maybe that um, you don't feel that as much. But when I just read the first issue, I was like, oh, it just felt like a, your standard Hulk goes into town, smashes things. But just through the through the uh, angle of very adult serious twisted yeah sensibilities yeah. uh but i love it and um like i said it, I, I like things like this that sort of build upon what came before uh i also like hulk comics that have rick jones in them and rick jones does come back though not in the way i, I would have expected i think rick jones is an important part of hulk mythos and some uh, creators do think, don't use him do you think you liking rick jones is similar to why you like nightwing like sort of the number two person who comes into their own. I'd like Rick Jones because I think because he was there in the first issue, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I like the idea that this kid 
feels indebted to the Hulk. I think that's an interesting aspect of the Hulk that when he's not around, he's just the monster. You lose this sort of like, oh, this is my fault. Yeah. You're the Hulk because of me. I, I got to help you. Like yeah. there's something very interesting about that character. And when you toss him aside, particularly when you have a dumber Hulk, you also lose some of the uh, – someone who can talk to the Hulk. I don't know uh, uh, who's around. Uh, I mean not to say there haven't been great runs without Rick Jones, Planet Hulk being one of them. Uh, I, I think that he often gets tossed aside. It's weird to me that he's not in any of the movies. He's not even a part yeah. of them. Yeah, that's true. He's not brought up. I wonder, is that a rights thing or is it just like a story thing? I think I think they just didn't want to have him in there. I think that the um, story they had didn't involve him. And once he's not in there at the beginning, he's kind of hard to bring in later. It's hard to say, oh, by the way, there's been this kid involved the whole time. Yeah. So so yeah. I like Rick Jones for that reason. I think I like Nightwing for a different reason. Um, I think just because I was a kid and Robin was like the kid Batman. Yeah. The yeah. Batman who has fun yeah. is, uh, is an interesting for a different reason. I do like powerless characters, though, and Rick Jones sometimes is that character. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm really glad to have read this, and I'm, I'm definitely going to read more, so I'm excited to have uh, been introduced to it. So thank you. Great. Um, you want to do emails or you want to talk Miles Morales? Let's do Miles Morales. Okay. So the original incarnation of this podcast was a Spider-Man podcast. We did the we went over the fir- the uh, Steve Ditko issues of Spider-Man, which is like the first 40-ish. 38, yeah. And right? – um, yeah. And uh, I think with annuals, I don't know. It was more than 38 issues, but it was through issue 38. Yeah. We're still sort of, we always keep like to keep our toes in the Spider-Man pool. Sony PlayStation just released a new video game called Miles Morales that is for the PS5, new video game console, but you can play it on PS4. And this is relevant to Kevin and I because we each bought a PlayStation just so we could play the Spider-Man game that came out in 2018 and loved it yeah we were uh, not video gamers we did not have <laughs> systems uh, i had ha- someone had given me a ps2 at one point that i played for like a month uh-huh. uh, but i really hadn't played video games much and then i bought a playstation and spider-man just to play spider which is so much money to spend on one game yeah and then i was like sort of worth it uh, well, we, we spent a lot of hours on it. Like, um, yeah. I think it, it prorates out, so it's not so egregious a purchase. We've since played uh, a few other different we games. we played other here. games, too. So, yeah. I mean, I played it. I, it got me into video games big time. I yeah, played, like a, I've lost myself. I, like, I'm almost, I'm about to 100% Red Dead Redemption 2, which is insane. Yeah. Uh, so, and uh, God I'm of not... War and the three Arkham's. I played it. So, Spider-Man, the video game, was a gateway for me ruining my life. And, yeah. um so Miles Morales coming out is kind of an intersection of our old interest in Spider-Man and our relatively new interest in video games. Yeah. Uh, so we both so, played it. What's our, yeah. what's your review, Kevin? I love it. I think it's really fun. Yeah. Uh, I probably like it more than the DLCs, the downloadable right. content, extra uh-huh. missions from the first game, but not quite as much as the main Spider-Man game so yeah. far. I think Mostly because the main Spider-Man game just came first. I totally agree. Like the main Spider-Man game gets the fun of establishing its world and its conventions and its mechanics of the way things worked. And Miles uh, lives inside of those mechanics. So uh, there is no joy of just like learning how things work as much in this game. Yeah, there's there's, the moment I started combat, it's like, well, I know the things that worked for me as Peter and I'm going to do them as Miles 
Yeah. Uh, and as Miles gets more abilities, those sort of, uh, some of those uh, Venom Blasts become a huge part of my uh, combat. I, but they're the backbone of my fighting style. Uh, it'd be, it's all about it'd be tough to go blast. back to Peter without them now. Um, um, so it, I agree with you, Kevin. I think it's great. It does, I don't mean this in a bad way, but it, it is like DLC plus. It's like, it's like a supercharged DLC. It's yeah. a little bit longer than a DLC. There's a new character or uh, a deep focus on an established character, Miles. Do, do you think it is longer than all three DLCs combined? No, but it's longer okay. than any one of them. I mean, I think it is. A, I feel like it is a hair longer, but maybe it's not. That all three of them put together? Yeah. I, there's there's a lot of, to 100% the DLCs, you have to do like a lot of just fighting of criminals. And that yeah. is sort of a grind. So if you factor in grind time, I think, you know, there's there's a little less grinding in the Miles game. Yeah. The, the time you spend is more like focused on story. The bases in this game, like the bases in Spider-Man are always like five level affairs where it's like phase five phases of criminals yeah. come at you. And this and is always a wh- million of them. And this is never that. There's always one phase of guys. Yeah. And once you've defeated them, nobody else comes out. Right. And you can do them all uh, stealthy if you want to. Yeah, you don't need to get into any fights, whereas that was impossible in the Spider-Man game. Right. After you do the first phase, they just see you. That's because Miles has the ability to turn invisible, so stealth is a bigger part of his, like, fighting. A silly thing that can happen is, like, in the middle of a combat when I'm losing bad, I just go invisible, jump up to a high beam, and wait for them to forget I'm there. Yeah, they're not the AI on the on the um, villains is not too sharp. Mm-hmm. They're pretty did, easy to fool. But did you play point. on maximum difficulty? No, I played on amazing difficulty, just the default one. Okay. What I did you play on? Uh, I think I did the amazing. Uh, it was amazing the second highest. I didn't go down to the easiest. There's I was proud of myself. Friendly neighborhood, and then friendly, and then amazing, and then spectacular, and then ultimate. Ultimate doesn't exist until I think oh, you finish it. Yeah. Uh, Ultimate was in the first game, maybe right away. Anyway, yes, that's um, right. That's right. I do like the 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 missions that are just sort of like helping out your neighbors. I love that too. Uh, that aspect of the game is really fun. Like you have an app in this game. Like uh, your best friend has built a, an app for people just to reach out and say, "Hey, Spider Man, I need your help." And it's like my cat's missing. Yeah. Or I want a selfie. And kind of doing those missions is fun to do. It's sort of like, oh, this is just Spider Man becoming a, a friend of the neighborhood. Yeah, it's always funny when you see the story find excuses to video gameize the character's world so that you, the video game player, can interact with it better. Like Spidey's suit is so much tech, is so much of a souped-up tech thing because that justifies all of your controls. Right, 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 yeah. Um, He's got a radar map and, like, tapped into the, you know, phone lines and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, so I really like that. He fe- it feels like he moves faster, like he swings faster. I don't know if that's true, but it feels like when I cross the city, it's he's just going faster. But I, I don't know if that's true. Uh, the combat felt a little harder in the sense that I think it needed to be that you have to use venom blasts on some of these guys. Right. Um, Without the venom blast, you would be you'd be overwhelmed. Like in some of those bases, if I attacked too quickly, I'm just like getting shot by everybody. I'm like, oh, you just need to be invisible. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Um, and it was I felt, think that's good. That's good design. They force you to use your new powers. Yes. Uh, so I really I, like that. Um, I, I, I was an expert in the Spider-Man game fighting. I finished it seven times through. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. Yeah. Um, and I was losing the first couple battles I played here. 
And then a couple times throughout the play, I would get overwhelmed and lose battles and have to kind of like learn some new tricks. And that's really fun. I was glad for that. Uh, I mean, I also just really enjoy a Spider-Man in a universe without other superheroes. But I like that Peter's gone and it's just Miles and there's no backup. There's no Iron Man or Hulk or Captain America yeah. showing up to help you. I don't I, even though I know they exist because they're like locations exist in this game. I play it in my mind that they don't exist. There's just the two Spider-Men and that's it in this entire world. Yeah, it it has still has a lot. Most of the I guess all of the fun things of the first game. The web swinging is super fun. The, yeah. You know, you can easily transition from, you know, swinging across huge swaths of the city and then just dive into a battle that you come across and there's no like load screen or like you're, you're just in it. And that's like a really fun thing to do. Yeah. Um, this one has a little bit more like you seem to just walk into a building, too, which didn't really happen in the last game. You would That would always be a little mini cutscene if you opened a door generally. Yeah. There's a little bit um, of that in this one. I wonder if we we're playing on the PS4 version also. So what I've read on reviews is the PS5 version is like even zippier. Yeah. Like there's even less loading and like it just kind of just because the the console is beefier. I had a couple of bugs pop up while I was playing. There's one yeah, point where my too. body vanished. Yeah, I had that too. Online, like um, there's a lot of talk of the glitches most of it is like it's not so bad and the game is worth it. Some people are saying, "Oh, it it's bad," but it's not bad. It's That's just good. sort of like the original game that had like almost none of those. I I very very rarely would have something physically impossible happen in the yeah. PS4 game. So this it, maybe was just a little bit rushed to get it out in time for the PS5 slash holidays. Yeah, yeah, I feel like they just didn't get a chance to completely. 100% thoroughly, you know, test everything. And also because all this stuff's online, like they're updating those bugs. Those bugs will be gone in a few months. Yeah. A patch got uploaded today, actually. But one so, thing yeah. they did really well is the story and the character is great. The interactions with characters is really good. So the emotional immersion is powerful. And Kevin, I can't wait for you to get to the end. Just because just the ending of stories is powerful. And I'm, yeah. I'm going to talk to you about it. I love the new Tinkerer, too. I think that's a, a, a cool take on that name. Yep. New Making Tinkerer her personal to Miles. She's not an important part of Peter's. Uh, he's not. Tinkerer is not an important part of uh, Peter's mythos. So giving the Tinker to Miles and making him connected to him feels very smart. Yes. Uh, we learn more about Miles' mom. You spend a lot of time in Miles' apartment, actually. You, want, you kind yeah. of walk around his house. You get to know his house pretty well. Miles' mom is great. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't want to spoil it. Also, for people listening, yeah, There's me other either. Things uh, I to say too. It's it doesn't reinvent the wheel of the Spider-Man video game, but it is. Who cares? The wheel is already great. So it's like it's a hypercharged version of Sp- Spidey PS4. I mean, when I finished the Spider-Man game, the DLC came out pretty quick after that. Um, but I remember finishing the DLCs and going, "Well, I would do another three DLCs if they made them." Just and they just kept making DLCs without like rechanging the the system. I would have yeah. kept buying them. And that's, if that's what this is, I bought it. Yeah. I hope they do um, DLCs for this. Oh, man. I'm on board. They've got, they can just take my credit card number now to save time. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's our Miles Morales segment. Let's do emails. Great. Uh, we've got, I think, five. That's my favorite amount of emails to have. Oh, great. First one from Megan Jarchow. Hello, Megan. Uh, hi, Will and Kevin. 
My husband asked me to watch JoJo's Bizarre Adventures on Netflix. While watching episode one, there was a couple of bullies picking on the main character. The insult the kids called them was panty waist. Ah. I couldn't believe what I heard, and I thought of you guys right away. <laughs> uh, I'm enjoying the season. The Sandman is such a great comic, and I've enjoyed every episode. The one where Sandman travels through time to revisit the man that lives forever is one of my favorites. I also have to thank you guys for bringing up Squirrel Girl a while back. I started reading some, and they are great. I love reading the unbeatable Squirrel Girl beats up the Marvel Universe. She's too funny and smart. I love how she tries to talk things out before beating villains up. Hopefully a movie will be made for her. I love Squirrel Girl, too. That was an amazing series. Uh, Uh, I just read the the first arc, and I loved it. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, And then she asks, if you guys had to pick an Avengers team of all female superheroes, which ones would they be? Oh, interesting question. Thank you for asking us these questions. We're not always great at answering them, but they're fun to try. Yeah. Uh, um, let's I see. Mean, Captain Marvel's easy to throw on there. She is a powerhouse. Just superpower wise. That's what you got. You got to have the invisible woman. She'd be like mm-hmm. um, the most I, experienced. I'm a big fan of the uh, older Captain Marvel now called Spectrum. Monica Rambeau, who turns into like light waves. I, I have a soft spot for her. She-Hulk. She-Hulk. Uh, uh, the Thunderbolts character songbird i love okay so i'd put her on too how about um any x-men or um any no new none mutants? no <laughs> no uh-huh. <laughs> um those are the those are the big ones that jumped to my mind right away um how about dagger without cloak could she could she do it i, I don't think she's that into i don't think either of them are interesting alone yeah you might be right for uh, me at least i'm uh, just a fan of them visually so much but i think visually they're interesting together yeah playing off They're, each other uh, yeah um i mean you've got black widow you could throw black widow on there she's a no-brainer what if you had black cat like an anti-hero that could be kind of uh, fun i'm not i'm not huge into that uh, Catwoman has joined the justice league a few times i never dig that either i think mm-hmm. she's too anti-hero from it mm-hmm. to work for me she's not like wolverine anti-hero she's like a legit criminal like criminal yeah she like breaks into places and steals things Though maybe I they love, could like maybe they could have to pair up with her sometimes. Like they just need her like informant help sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm totally on board for a black cat uh, uh, appearance, no question. Yeah, I mean, we're basically just naming the female Avengers we know. Like the Wasp could be in there, of course. Um, mm. I like Songbird because she has unique powers. I like uh, Spectrum for that same reason. How about Katie Power? How about one of the Power Pack? She's <laughs> grown Power up. Is you know? Eight <laughs> or something. I don't know how old she is in current comics now. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want, I can't, as a father, I can't have a child that young on the team. I would cry Mm -hmm. the whole time. Uh, I guess you could have Julia Power if you really, if you want to have somebody on there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's lots of mutants. Storm and Rogue, uh, Danny Moonstar are all cool. Armor is a really fun character. I don't know if you read comics with her. She's really fun though. I don't know. I don't Uh, know. Shadow Cat. How about the Alpha Alpha Flight uh, people? Uh, What's her name? Snowbird? Yeah. I, I don't know anything about Named her after an her Anne name. Murray song? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just trying to get all the cards on the table here. Yeah. Um, I'm I'll sure be honest. My list begins like... and ends with Songbird. That's, a, that's the only one I need to have on the team. <laughs> I guess my pick would be Invisible Woman. I think, you know, the John Byrne version of her was so good that I, I would love She's got that. her own team. <laughs> She'll need this one, too. John Lennon played with Keith Richards once, and it was really fun. So yeah. I think the and Invisible now Woman he's dead. Play. <laughs> is that what you want i don't think it's related oh uh, well you don't know though i don't know i can't prove it uh, uh yeah i mean uh, medusa uh you could put on she's fun oh, yeah that's a, that'd be fun uh so like in humans characters like that 
Miss Marvel, of course, is great too. Though I do feel like she's better on a young team because she's so young. Um, She's really fun in the Avengers video game, the Ms. Marvel character. I have not played it. I I didn't finish it. I didn't get caught up in the story, but the the acting and the personalities were all really good in that game. Like the dialogue is really fun. Our next email. Thank you. Uh, I already archived the last one, Megan. Uh, Our next email is from Thomas Thomas Fransom. He sent us a two-part email, one related to comics and one related to improv. We could just do the improv one over email well. I say um, we're doing both. Here's the comic book one. I like this one. You guys like to joke about how Steve Ditko created everything. But what joke. do you think? I <laughs> know. I don't like that reference. He, yeah. he did create everything. He did it. He did it. But what do you think classic characters would be like if they actually were created by Ditko? What would a Ditko <laughs> Fantastic Four be like or Ditko Green Lantern a Ditko Superman? We talked about Ditko Fantastic Four. Did we? What did we come up with? Well, we just said like how it would be way more internal, like the FF were all like external focused, like Mm -hmm. problems to fight and like obstacles to solve and visual ways to use their powers. And Ditko would have given them all torturous inner lives. Like they would all be kind of sad and haunted by something. I mean, the it thing be probably better in a lot the, of ways. The thing probably wouldn't change that much. Right. The thing is the most Ditko-y of them. I agree. Uh, he's almost a little too lighthearted. Stan Lee's influence is too strong on him, so it makes him feel less like Ditko, I think, would have kept some of that anguish front and center. Yeah. It would be, it'd be a moodier book. It definitely, I think, Reed would be a creepier character. I mean, Kevin, is, Kevin said it, I think, and probably lots of other people have made this observation, but like... You know, Jack Kirby's the king of comics. Nobody made more Marvel Comics characters than Jack Kirby. But Ditko's Spider-Man is the blueprint for modern Marvel comics and modern comics in general. Uh, that balance of storytelling was the breakthrough. So, What would a Ditko Superman be like? I mean, I'm sure, I, I bet you this incarnation has happened, but it would be like the less cosmic and more you know, personal oriented, more like Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen oriented, more Ma and Pa Kent oriented. Yeah. Despite Spider-Man, he seems to gravitate towards less powers versus more powers. Ditko's aesthetic works better that way. Uh, Um, I can imagine a Ditko by way of question. Uh, He's a reporter, you know, and he's Superman kind of like he's investigating stories more often. Like that plays into it even more than it probably does normally. He might go with Superman, the Doctor Strange route and go fully cosmic and just like send him into the universe to deal with other like Kryptonian beasts and gods and sort of like go into this kind of like Promethea like other dimensional travel. I could sort of see that, too. Well, the other character he pitched this was Green Lantern. So I can definitely see that for Green Lantern. Green Lantern being just uh, yeah, that all alien sense. planets. Um, just like alien planet of the of the issue. I would love to see Ditko do Green Lantern Power Ring stuff, though. I think he'd be great at it. Oh, man. He'd be tailor-made for that. Good call. Um, yeah. I mean, they also would read... all stop to have monologues about you can't compromise justice and, and <laughs> you know, anybody who resists the police is a crybaby. You know we I mean? we need like, it to be early Ditko or it becomes unreadable. Yeah. <laughs> Once it becomes A is A, it becomes too much. Yeah, pre-Mr. A did go, unfortunately. Uh, great. Part two, this is not comics-related at all. and He gives us permission to not read this on the air. Will has said he wants it on the air. Yep. 
I'm a graduate student, have to teach as part of my degree. Currently, I'm teaching a biology lab and an academics skills class. I'm relatively new to teaching and have trouble engaging students during class and sometimes struggle with public speaking in general. Further, I try to incorporate humor into lectures sometimes, but I often fail to get laughs. It occurred to me, it occurred to me recently that there's actually a fair bit of overlap between improv and teaching, so I figure I'd ask for your collective insight. Do you have any hmm. tips for engaging an audience? Do you have tips for incorporating humor into my teaching? General public speaking tips. Thanks. No idea. Kevin? <laughs> wow. We're the two <laughs> funniest people on the planet, Well, We need to be able to help them out. Uh, a part of what teaching is is sort of speaking to what you think everyone is thinking. Yeah. Right? Like if everyone seems That's confused. That's part of what Im- improv is too. Yeah. It's sort of just like making a comment on that. It's like, well, I said that in a very confusing way. Just sort of self-deprecating. Yeah. Calling out. Being empathetic to the what the class is thinking about. Like if it's two days before winter break, you know, none of you guys are paying attention to this. You're thinking about, you know, getting out of here yeah. or whatever. Or if there's a test coming up, just even noticing that. I think uh, noticing that like the tension in the room. I, uh, I, when I was a student, I never liked teachers that like, I was a bad student. I would sometimes not show up for a few weeks and then show up on important weeks. And sometimes teachers would make fun of the fact that like, oh, now you're here to the room. Yeah. I never liked those. Cause it was sort of like, oh, don't call it the thing I don't want you to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but I probably wouldn't have minded them calling out things that like, uh, you know, oh, this part's dry, you know, like making fun of like, this is the boring part and this is the exciting part and that sort of stuff. I'd be very involved in. So some of it, I think, is just remembering what it feels like to be a student and sort of even looking out into the room and being like, oh, this is the vibe I'm getting just from them, the the audience, the students, and commenting on it. What else, Well, What else would you do? Okay. Um, well, in- improv, is, in terms of how improv affects teaching, improv is reactive more than proactive. So when students ask questions or offer opinions, which it sounds like they're not doing too much of, so... But if they ever do, if you ask for thoughts or questions and they say something, you yes and it. If anybody ever says something like, well, this seems hard, your next, your next thing you say be, oh, it is hard. It's really hard. Like yes anding any opinion they offer the best that you can is right. always kind of funny and a relief and empathetic and disarming. Nobody expects it, um, especially if they're saying anything negative. I mean, you know, judgment. Hold your judgment. We can't you can't let them get away with yeah bad behavior. But if they just say something like, "I'm really scared of tests," or "I find memorizing this really boring," the improv answer would be like, "Oh, it is boring. This is the most boring thing you're gonna do all year." And then you have to then you can defend it. Uh, I also, I mean, I've only taught I guess improv, um, but when I would teach, like talking about yourself and your real life. Um, experiences. What I don't know how often that can come up in a, in a lab type scenario, but like um, you know that sort of thing, just sort of being like how you felt about it, or just even if like yeah. if, if you're just trying to break the tension, talking about something dumb you did that week can get, get a lot of laughs. Just like I remember, that's the classes where I would come in and be like, "Oh my, you won't believe what I did yesterday." <laughs> Yeah. I got in an argument with a, a homeless person in the subway car. I got, I started it. <laughs> like, what was I doing? Like, like why, why would I do that? Like, sort of like bringing that up and just being like, oh my, uh, well, here I am now. So, don't do that. Don't do what I did. Sort of like having, letting them laugh at you or uh, 
realize that like you're a human being can be a lot of fun. If you if you have any enthusiasm for science, like telling them what you like about the stuff you're teaching, yeah. can they that can help them get into it? I still remember in seventh grade, I had a teacher, Mr. Tremonti, and he was a real shy, nervous guy from what I remember. And he was teaching us like algebra and, um, you know, algebra can be very dry and boring. And there was like some big equation on the board and he's like talking about how to reduce it and the things you do. And as I was thinking it was boring, he said, I love this stuff. He goes, it makes me feel like a detective. Like I'm going to find the criminal. I'm going to find out who X really is or something like that. And it was kind of nerdy and goofy, but I also was like, I do get it. I do get it. Like he sees a story that's happening here. So and I think it's also important to be honest. Like if you're making a joke that you don't really believe, like if you were teaching a math class and you're like, oh, I feel like a detective because you heard this anecdote from Will, but you don't feel like a detective, it doesn't read real. You've got to speak to how why you really like something. I disagree. The detective anecdote always works. Any context, oh force it in. All right. Uh, mm. But I think honesty works, right? Like just like yeah. people but can I tell also- when you're um, shoveling crap. Right. You got to you got to believe what you're saying. And um, just the fact that you're thinking about it probably means you're really good. Yeah. Just that you're worried about it, just that you're invested. That's probably more important than anything we're saying. It's hard to be funny in front of a bunch of people who are paying complete attention to you, because even if, even though students don't pay complete attention, they're paying attention to you in a way that no, no one else does. Yeah. You're on their radar. You're in the front of them. They ha- they, they, they either are paying attention to you or know they should be paying attention to you. That yeah. is an audience you do not get normally. Uh, and I, I can see why that makes uh, it difficult. And if none of that works, just lie to them. <laughs> I mean, you know, right. Make up fake science and teach it. Ruin their careers. Teach them, teach, tell them that you know how to clone things and show them how. Our next email is from Justin Bridge. He talks about a couple things. I'm going to read two sections of this and skip the other part. Kevin uh, uh, made a good point. This is what I'm going to read this part. You guys made a lot of good points today, and I think Kevin came upon a good one. I don't really remember bad stories either. I mean, I can remember broad strokes maybe, but not the crux. Whereas with good stories, you always remember the great moments. I have the entire run of Darkhawk, for example, and I can't really tell you all that much about it other than he fought the Green Goblin, met Spidey, his dad was a crooked cop, and his face was apparently still scarred. It was hideous to look at. Whereas I also remember a three-issue storyline in The New Warriors where a villain rewrote history to make it as if the Egyptians never fell as a dominant society and all the Marvel heroes we knew and loved were replaced by Egyptian doppelgangers. Each similar, but not exactly like the ones we knew before. It was like a three-issue arc, then boxed away, but it was a great arc, and I always think about it. Uh, He also admits, well, that he's finally bought Sandman stuff that came out post-run. He's never read that before, and you've convinced him to buy it. Woo! Uh, we were talking about a bad Sandman TV pitch. Okay. Do you remember that, Will? Yes. And he made his. All right. Detective Mortimer, parentheses, Mort Fius, is a new Chicago <laughs> detective shot in Vancouver, paired up with a jaded older female detective. While he's always been a by-the-book detective with little whimsy in his heart, he recently has started receiving vivid dreams The out that outline or show in some manner local crimes being committed. Though he never listens to his guts, preferring cold, hard facts, he just can't ignore these dreams and uses them to help solve the crimes. As the season goes on, we learn Mort is descended from Orpheus, the Dream Lord's son. CBS on Friday. Doesn't sound that bad to me. <laughs> All right, well, Will's in. <laughs> I'm into that. Uh, our next email is from Joe Dunham. This is a good one, Will. You ready? I am. Uh, hi, Kevin and Will. 
I was initially disappointed in the choice of the Sandman for the most recent season. I basically only ever read Marvel comics, and I never, and I had never even heard of Sandman before. Okay. I didn't listen to the first few episodes before I finally caved and began to read the series in order to follow along. I'm at the end of the Doll's House arc right now, and I'm glad I chose to read it. This series is absolutely incredible. Oh, wow. For the Fantastic Four season, I managed to read all 102 oh, issues my plus God. annuals. <laughs> we are we got to send you money. That's we're sa- we're sorry. Uh, along with you guys, and while long stretches of that initial run were hard to get through, it's impossible <laughs> to not appreciate what they are. With Sandman, none of it is ever hard to get through. Neil Gaiman's ability to create fully realized, interesting characters in the span of just a few panels is some of the best writing, comic book or not, I've ever read. Even in the genuinely disturbing issues, e.g., Doctor Destiny. Uh, the character work keeps readers invested. Uh, I have two questions for you. What, if any, modern comics seem to be most influenced by Gaiman's Sandman? Hmm. Uh, let's answer that first. Do you know? Do you have anything in mind? I I don't read enough comics to really be able to answer this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I would kind of say the whole Vertigo line is in Sandman's Shadow. Yeah, I, a lot of Vertigo was. I think anything that wasn't like sci-fi and Vertigo was influenced by Neil Gaiman, often directly. Like, it would be like, this series spun out of Sandman. But even the ones that weren't felt very influenced by it. Kieran Gillen, did when he did his Kid Loki series, it was a series where Loki was a kid, he was basically doing almost a spoof of Sandman. Like, he, uh, yeah. he like, did flowery... It was, like, more humorous. So I'm saying it wasn't like a... And I, he, I, I'm assuming he loves Sandman. He doesn't dislike it, so he's not making fun of it, but it's definitely right. seemed to be like, oh, I'm doing the humor version of that in the same way maybe Gru was the humor version of Conan the Barbarian. Do you think Lucifer by Mike Carey, like, had, I mean, it had to, right? Because it took yeah. the main character. 100%. I mean, taking that character and the fact that it was 75 issues and it was built up of, like, these, definitely, like, the layout of, like, arcs and, like, mini stories and it's kind of yeah. done in ones. That feel of it was, I, it very much becomes Mike Carey's own thing, but... Yeah. I would I would even say like a lot of uh, Hellblazer, even though that's an Alan Moore creation, had Neil Gaiman influenced that character a lot. I wonder if Mike Magnolia was influenced by it because Hellboy sort of reminds me of Sandman in terms of its mixture of little human warm moments and like grand mythic characters. Yeah, Hellboy could almost be looked at as like the American version of Sandman, right? Where Sandman is sort of this dry, detached yeah. person in a crazy world. Uh, Hellboy is sort of this kind of like army brat. cracking Let's jokes. go get them, boys. Yeah. But similarly, like detached. <laughs> so I, I don't have a perfect example, but I, I'm going to say there must be. That comic is so huge. I, I bet most comics were. It's like saying, what did Spider Man influence? It's, yeah. uh, it's not quite that big, but it's, it's similar in that, like, the influence is so ubiquitous that it's almost hard to notice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, what did Breaking Bad influence? Like, I don't know what it influenced directly, but it influences shows. It's got to. It's good. Probably also just influenced what publishing companies were willing to publish. Like they saw the success of Sandman, so things similar to it could get greenlit. His second question, Will. The dramatic brooding narrator of Sandman suddenly swaps roles with peak 1963 Stan Lee narrator and and (laughs) Spider-Man. How are the two titles changed and which one is better off? (laughs) 
Well, they're both ruined, that's for sure. <laughs> I think um, Sandman does not recover. Like, I, But I think that 63's Spider-Man could sustain the dramatic narrator. I but think I, he, don't think, I don't think Neil Gaiman's stories are going to work with Stan Lee writing the caption. Uh, uh, I guess, what if you switch the eras of like, instead of switching the narrators, you switch the books. Like a, a somber Spider-Man might survive and a silly Sandman might might survive in the 60s you mean yes and the in the in the if they go with their narrators and they go to the narrator's era like stanley's narration would only work as a comedy book now same man would have to be a flat-out comedy book Uh oh Uh looks like calliope's getting raped again (laughs) jesus jesus christ yeah i know Let's cut away, fans, before it gets too graphic. I think he would just dumb it down too much. He'd be worried about the fan being left out. Like It would sort of be like, Loki, Thor's younger brother, always up to mischief, (laughs) at it again by kidnapping his baby. (laughs) uh, uh, A man who was worried he would run out of ideas now has more ideas than he knows what to do with. <laughs> Some of the moments he would nail. Now that now that we're getting into it, like Stan could like dial back. Mm-hmm. He could get into the pathos of a moment. Like I actually think the moment you're referring to when Salmon says to Richard Maddock, you shall have ideas in abundance. Stan, Stan could handle that, I think. I mean, it would be more of his amazing fantasy stuff. Yeah. Hitting the twists, you know, hard. <laughs> it's fun to give Stan... A hard time, but he he would rise to the occasion sometimes. But he would absolutely ruin Sandman. But <laughs> but the but the cold narrator of Sandman in sixty it would fit Ditko all right. It would I fit, think actually, it would fit Spider Man, but I think Spider Man would not be that popular, right? You would lose the lighthearted humor of it. Even if it was just the narration, he had the dialogue. It just it'd be tough, you know. It, it would it would be too much Ditko, not enough Stan. Yeah, you, I mean, you need that balance. You, you yeah. got you need the lighthearted quips to balance out the brooding urgency i mean especially if even though uh <laughs> i don't know you and i feel like this the book became more popular with john romita so like the ditko stuff got dialed way back and the book became more popular yeah more ditko it's probably is not the best it's fascinating to me because those issues are not as readable today they don't hold up as much they're not bad certainly but they're like bland yeah uh it's they're less they're less interesting for sure Anyway, uh, I love the idea of that. That's Thank a really you. funny question. Uh, he's looking forward to Secret Wars. It will be interesting to hear your take on a title that, while fun, isn't nearly as universally loved as your other seasons. By the oh, way, Will, sure. I Will Write Your Book podcast is hilarious. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. We have one last email. This is about a recent – this, I think, just came out today, this news, or, or this week. So I just read about this, Will, so I'm going to try to tell you what's going on. Okay. Um, the subject is a question about life decisions leading you to this point. And did Ditko create Venom? Answer yes. Go ahead with the rest of it. Hey, Milksops. <laughs> uh, came upon this article today. Probably it comes to your attention already, but it was too important to not share. And then he links to an article that basically there is an issue of a Captain where Captain the Captain Universe character from Marvel Comics was created. And I think it was a Bill Mantlo, but it was drawn by Steve Ditko. And it's basically a character where like, I don't know, like, this super-powered energy would just travel from person to person, whoever needed it. And become, that person would become Captain Universe, I think. Mm-hmm. But in this issue, he fights a guy called Mr. E, I think. Uh, okay. Which is a terrible name. But Mr. E is basically like a black shadow of goo that looks similar to Venom. Okay. And a very recent issue of Spider-Man brought that character back 
and imply that it is somehow related to the symbiotes. So now that has been retconned to be at least symbiote adjacent. Right. So that makes that that comic has jumped up in price on eBay because it is maybe the first appearance of a symbiote. <laughs> Interesting. So that is what's happened there. And we've okay. already talked about it. We gave <laughs> Ditko credit for Venom because he once drew a picture of Spider-Man with a smile. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So we had um, already given him credit. Now he just gets more credit. Yeah. It's uh, funny he didn't do Venom because the dripping symbiote costume is right up Ditko's alley. He, he would do great. Yeah, like the, the kind of the costume shooting around and stuff. I, I mean, it definitely has a modern sensibility to it. It would look so different under Ditko's pen. But I'd be curious yeah. to see what it was. I think he would be the, – the, the toothy smile would be the part he'd be worst at. But I think he'd be great at every other aspect of it. Yeah. Also, Will, uh, in our careers, what specifically took you down the improv comedy route versus stand-up or sketch or whatever? I mean, for me, it was that uh, I had no confidence – and uh, wasn't sure of my comedic voice and improv exists in a school structure and I'm very comfortable in a classroom structure. So there was like a system for me to learn in. I actually did do stand up before I did improv and it was just hard. I just, I liked the, I also liked the community around improv. You, you more immediately feel like you're part of a group, or at least I did. And so maybe not everybody has that feeling, but and sketch, I uh, I don't know why, but I I never had a sketch. I didn't get a sketch group until years later. Improv is both very hard and very easy. And the easy part is like that everyone is working in the moment to make everyone else look good, and mistakes are sort of accepted as part of it. Where like if you wrote a bad sketch, that's a mistake, and it's a bad sketch, and no one likes it. If you tell a bad stand-up joke. It doesn't go over well. But if you do like make a bad improv move, it could be the best part of the show. Yeah. So to some extent, like it feels like, oh, this is easier. It's hard yeah. to get really good at it. But like the I, entryway feels much easier. Improv kind of has less comedy requirement to be good at it, it because there's like acting requirement and mm -hmm. just some sort of like writing separate from comedy. Whereas, like, I think stand-up is like almost all just if you are funny or not and sketch. So you can kind of develop your comedic voice later in improv if you want. And I also think somebody who doesn't have experience in any of it, like or very lim limited experience, improv kind of teaches you a little bit of everything. And then you can start with improv and be like, oh, I would be good at sketch. Or now I have a – I think I could do sketch or I could do stand-up or I could become an actor. Uh, but, like, I never – I had – almost no acting experience, almost no sketch writing experience. And uh, it helped my brain start working in that way, helping me figure yeah. out what the strengths and weaknesses of it were. Thank uh, you for asking. Thank you, Charles. That's our last, uh, as always, we're running our comic book podcast on an improv-related question. Uh, that's it. If you want to ask us questions, please email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. And we have an Instagram account, Screw It Comics, and a Twitter account, Screw It Comics. Please check those out. And if you're a super fan, check out Screw It Recent, which is what Kevin just posts images of books he's been reading recently. And then if you're an old school fan of this podcast, you can look at Screw It Spidey, where we put all Spider-Man related stuff or most Spider-Man related stuff. Yeah, we'll be back next week. I should have said this at the top. We're going to cover a comic called Bang, issue two. I'll put that in the description. And... Um, Thanks for listening, everybody. See everyone next week. Bye. Comics. Imagine a podcast. Now, imagine a musical. Now, imagine the two of them made one million babies. Well, 
You don't have to imagine it, because it's real, and it has a name. One Million Musicals. Each month, we bring you a brand new, original podcast musical featuring talent from across Broadway, films, and TV. You'll hear tales of spooky ghosts, Wild West shootouts, adventures on the high seas, and much, much more. One Million Musicals. Only a few hundred thousand to go. A Campfire Media Podcast. Campfire.